Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We are back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That, and I love having repeat guests. Lois Banta is here with me. Hi, Lois. Hi, Teresa. So glad to be back. Well, I can't have you like not come back. We have such a good time. When Lois and I talk, honestly, the prep before the podcast sometimes takes as long as the podcast just because we're catching up and talking. So we finally just had to say, let's shut up and get on the podcast, right? (laughs) So, So Lois is a consultant and speaker, if you're not familiar with her. Friend of ADOM, you've probably seen her in ADOM meetings. She's done a lot of ADOM live cares through the program that they had. And if you just Google her, you'll find a lot of articles and a lot of videos. And her very positive outlook on dentistry is really why people love her so much. But her other, I guess her other career is a company called Speaking Consulting Network. And it's where many of the consultants and speakers that you're aware of today, where they kind of grew up. I started with them, I don't even know, back when Linda Miles owned it is when when I started with them. And it's just a really nice networking place. The reason why I wanted to set the scene for this is that with the COVID happening and with all of the people deciding whether or not they want to go back into practice, definitely hearing it, and and she is too, we're definitely hearing that people may not want to strap on all that extra equipment. They don't want to, you know, sweat to death under there. They're looking at alternate ways of staying in dentistry without necessarily risking their family or whatever their perception is. And so, Speaking Consulting Network would have been a perfect place for them to explore that. However, we had poor Lois. She had to cancel it. She was scheduled for June and you had to cancel. Do you want to talk about how the hotel they tried and tried? Do you want to tell them about that? Yes. Uh, You know, the cancellation wasn't due to lack of attendance. Most of our members were still willing to come and hang in there. And what it came down to was the hotel in Colorado that couldn't promise to protect the safety of our members. And I just, I couldn't take that risk for our members. It would be devastating to me personally and professionally if anybody got sick as a result of attending my conference. They also couldn't guarantee that they had enough space for proper social distancing for the events that we have, the welcome reception and the farewell dinner and then the, of course, the general session meeting and our new member meeting. They just couldn't, they couldn't figure out logistics well enough to promise that we would have the social distancing required by the state of Colorado. And then the final blow was the governor of Colorado is being very slow to increase how many people can congregate in a room. And we typically have anywhere from 120 to 150 people attend our conference every year. And 10 people to a room and then 20 and 30 was, we we saw the writing on the wall, but August, it wasn't going to have increased enough to really create that, that safety net for our members. And so bittersweet, devastating, so sad to have had a report last week that we had to, in fact, cancel SCN. But you know, for the, for the greater good of our community, our SCN community, and we have such a solid SEN community that we're being able to connect with them in other more creative ways until our 20, 2021 meeting, which 
will be our 25th anniversary of SCN. Can you believe it's been around that long, Teresa? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Five years. Yeah. I bought SCN in 2010, so it will be my 10th anniversary of owning this amazing organization in 25 years since it's been around. Yeah, because you really worked hard. You and Julie worked hard to save this because it was scheduled for June, and then you you ended up moving it to August. And then when you called me to talk talk to me about it, I remember going, "Oh, this is probably like so hard on you." I, I knew it. I knew it was just from your voice. So yeah, we're scheduled again for next year, and I'll be there. I'm excited to to be a part and of it. And presenting for us, we're so excited. Well, we're going to talk about podcasting, and hopefully, yeah. you'll probably have been on this podcast ten times by then because we just have such a good time. Let's talk about this though. The person who's sitting in their car right now and second guessing whether or not they want to stay in their role in the office, when they see the Speaking Consulting Network is why is it a shining beacon to them? Like what are they thinking and and how how does that start, you know, in the head? Like you're like yeah. even talking your thought process when you were deciding to move out. Perfect perfect way to to share that example is to tell my story. In 1996, I was um, I had worked 25 years in a dental office um, environment and started helping my boss's friends' teams. I started teaching them how to get the results that I was getting. And it didn't occur to me that people didn't know what I knew. And that was the first inkling that, hey, maybe I could teach this to other people and they could get the same or even better results. So I called Linda Miles, who, who would you call to find out about, you know, doing this, taking this to the next level. And I wanted to come and work for her. Well, she had just founded in 1996 um, SCN at that time and uh, invited me uh, to attend the conference. So it took me a couple of years. I was like, oh, I don't know if I have that in my budget. And SCN, you know, tuition, it, we're, we're an investment. It's not as much as a college tuition. It's a tuition to learn and, and drink from the well of the people who've been doing it as well. Right. And we're very open to sharing. So I invested by borrowing the money from my then boyfriend, now husband, I married that guy. And he sent me to SCN. And so 1998 was my first meeting. And what I learned there, Linda shared her own personal materials for growing and nurturing an entrepreneurial business in consulting, speaking, and writing. The thing that's different about SCN from other organizations is it's the business of our profession, whether you're a speaker, a consultant, or a writer, or all three. You learn something about growing your business and crafting your business at this conference, and the bonus at SCN was I really created a community uh, from being a member and now an owner of like-minded professionals who, when we're out there um, speaking, consulting, and writing out there in the land, we now have a community to pull from, an area of expertise. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in medical coding. I'm not an expert in hygiene protocols as far as the clinical side. I'm not an expert in in infection control. I look to my colleagues, my experts in the profession for that, and SCN now has a really amazing, wide-ranging network. I would look at the website and take a look at who's involved in there, and you can see just the breadth of experience of the the people who pay to go to this. And and you know, it's it it's networking, it's learning. But what I find very fascinating, like you just said, when you look at the the directory and the people who go there, you don't expect like a hygiene educator to be sitting next to a fraud investigator. You know, like right. it's not what you normally see, but those two actually would have synergy because hygienists may spot something and be able to put an alarm out. So yeah, oh it's gosh. amazing. And, and so SEM became that resource for me to design a business that will actually help me grow my business 
and the amazing, amazing thing to be able to help the profession. And so what I realized in growing my business, and, and it's been a very successful business on my family consulting side and the speaking consulting network side, but it didn't grow the business to make a boatload of money. I grew the business to help the profession. And that's what I think we've done with SCN and in my consulting company and your consulting company, we have really designed systems and protocols and helpful tools to help grow the profession and to help protect our profession. Sitting in their office and they're thinking, I'm not sure I want to go back into uh, working live in a dental office for whatever reason they consider. The next step might be to start a speaking consulting and uh, writing business. And SCN conference, not to sound like a commercial, day one is is devoted in a, a two-phase format uh, was a new member day where we now I'm sharing my binder of professional materials, my own personal materials and building my business I share with those new members. I have one-on-one -on -one coaching calls because I want people who get into this profession to have the tools to be successful. We're not a it's mine, I'm keeping mine organization. You check your ego at the door and we share openly the tools that got us where, where we ended up and are still nurturing. You've always called it your toolbox. I remember um, when I met you, yeah. you had offered to send me something. I, I said this on the last podcast, you offered to send me something and I was like, okay, well, let's see if she does it. Cause you're so busy, right? I just <laughs> met you. And sure enough, here it comes. And I was like, holy cow, she remembered. And you always said, I'm happy to share from my toolbox. And you've said that I think for oh. years. And that is, that's definitely what attracts me to our community of consultants and speakers is that, you know, if I need something, I will just put something in the group or I, and I see it all the time. Somebody will ask for help and there's like five or six answers within an yeah. hour. So it's, it's so super helpful for somebody who's new. So I'm, I'm driving along in my car. I'm the listener. I'm driving along in my car and I'm thinking, all right, she's saying I should speak and consult and write, but how, the, like, what am I writing about? What should I write about? So what, what do you say then? So we have a community in our dental profession of people who have been uh, in their area of expertise for a very long time. What I knew initially when I started my company was how to get the money off the books and in the bank. <laughs> So I started thinking, hey, I could, I could write an article on that. I could write an article on a step-by-step -step process for managing your accounts receivables and outstanding insurance and get that money off the books and in the bank and started having good success in teaching those tools through writing an article. Well, that article, I wrote one article I, I remember back in the day, this is back in 2010, I think it was, uh, Dental Economics, no, Curve, had just come on the scene and they sent me an email and asked me, what are the top 10 tools of practice management on the practice management side a dental office needs to, to track their numbers? And I, so I, I rattled off 10 top management tools and that got picked up by Dental Economics who requested me to write a full feature cover photo article that subject. So I, it was so popular that I got a request from a meeting planner to design a seminar on that topic. And then the creme de la creme is so many people requested bits and pieces of that article that I wrote a book, my top 10 management tools, secrets to practice success. So what I learned from an organization like SCN is how to take the core subject and put the, if you can think of a bicycle wheel and spokes on the wheel, the core knowledge of one topic can morph into multiple streams, podcast interviews, webinars, seminars, articles, mini books, regular books, just so many different avenues. And what I realized in an organization like SCN is that people learn different ways. Your listeners really gravitate to 
to listening to your podcast and getting nuggets of information that they can then take back to their practice and go, oh my gosh, I learned this cool thing. Some people want to read it in print and Mm -hmm. some people want to go to an actual live person seminar and be able to react. I thrive in a reactionary uh, lecture style. Zoom webinars for me have been a learning, a bit of a learning curve in how to still demonstrate emotion in the point that I'm trying to make and realize figuratively that the audience on the other side of my computer screen is reacting to what I say. So doing these kinds of interviews is way, way more fun for me because you get to react to what I'm saying, right? And I get to react to what you're saying. It's funny because I remember when I first started doing webinars way back in the day, like when the, the stuff was so clunky, it was the software was clunky. Oh it was God. when I was with Adom and it was like, you know, can we get a tech person to help us? Because we have no idea what we're doing. But I remember reading an article in NSA, which is National Speaker Association. And the, the article just basically said, you've seen enough smiling faces. So just put those in front of your camera. Don't worry. Like just assume they're all smiling. And I remember thinking, that takes a lot of balls to just assume that, but let's do it. And it's actually works. So, <laughs> so maybe so just, just picture all of the, you know, SCN crowd just smiling at you. And it is a learning curve for sure. And I think it's a learning curve for attendees. You know, most of them, a lot of people hadn't taken webinars. They've just been going live. They get their CE at one meeting. And now everybody got their CE in one afternoon on a Zoom call, right? So. <laughs> if you can think about this globally, you know, the people in our entertainment industry, let's take them as an example who are used to performing in front of live audiences and are now having to perform in front of a Zoom audience and or uh, commencement speeches being given on Zoom versus being able to give that live and in person and, and feed off of the reaction of the grads. Uh, I've seen some very unfortunate recently, actually, Zoom podcasts and Zoom webinars from very high thought of well-spoken, famous people who are totally blowing it in being able to demonstrate an emotional message. You can't just talk to your computer screen. You have to imagine that there are live people behind that screen. And I think that's what you and I have been able to do over the years is from our experience of talking in front of a group. Now we're talking in front of a group. We're just not seeing the live audience as much, a lot more energy. It's not much different than when you're on a big stage and, the, and doing a keynote. I don't do a lot of keynotes. So my big stage experience is with Adom and right, you know, right. Dentrix. What people don't realize is that we don't see the audience anyways. Nope. Because lights are so bright. So really, if you're a keynote speaker, it shouldn't be that much different. But you're right. Sometimes it doesn't translate. No. I tell you what, I love just shutting down the computer and going upstairs. And I haven't changed my yoga pants. I haven't done anything. I can let the dog out immediately. God, it's the (laughs) best. It's the best. But you know, one thing too, and I'll put this in the show notes, a link. There was a New York Times article. Did you see it recently on the meeting planner? What meetings are going to look like? No, I haven't seen it. I'll send it to you. Kevin Henry and I were back and forth on this. Because there's one section that says for the trade show floors that they're looking at trade show floors that will have appointments where you make an appointment to go onto the trade show floor. So the, the traditional trade show floor dynamic that you and I are used to, who's going to pay for an appointment 
and they're not going to show up. Like the sponsors, I feel for these sponsors, how are they going to get their message out? So we're looking at a whole different industry. So me and you might be just webinar people. Right. And I'm hoping that's a temporary solution because eventually we'll have a vaccine out there and we'll have, we'll have adopted the protocols to be able to have that be more efficient and less cumbersome and less fearful feeling. I'm really confident that we're going to go back to a scenario where we'll be able to be live and in person. It's just not going to be like it was before March 11th. I hope so too. And it needs to be, I think, next year. So I have time to lose this COVID-19 pounds that I have put on. I've got so. my too. <laughs> Damn it. So, okay. So I'm going to do devil's advocate here. So I... And I'm t- going back to my first year in SCN, and I, I don't know if it was 2007 or eight. I really can't remember which one. But I remember doing like the whole but, 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 but. Yes. So let me give you some of the buts, okay. and you can maybe maybe allay some fears that some people are having. So my first but was, who's going to want to listen to me? Okay, excellent question. So people will want to listen to you because you bring an area of expertise to the table that other people don't know. For instance, you have such an abundant knowledge of the insurance side and the coding side and the medical and dental um, benefit side that I thrive on that learning environment. So the thing that we need to really be confident in when we put that little but oh, but who's going to want to listen to me? You just need to add up the years of experience you bring to the table and the actual success you've had getting results in an office and the realization that nobody knows what you know in that department. And that's when I finally, I have that same, that same, oh, but who's going to, I'm Lois Banton. Nobody knows me, right? I, I was still working full-time in a dental practice. Who's going to want to hear what I have to say? And that, that first opportunity to teach someone what I knew was the flicker of, oh, maybe they do want to know what I know. So you, you can choose to get around that potential obstacle by realizing how much you actually do know. So what about the little thought of, well, I really love to talk about collections, but Lois is already out there doing it. Or I really love talking about dental insurance, but Teresa's already out there doing it. What about that? Because, oh, that's such, a, such an excellent question. I want to I wanna think really carefully with how I respond. There's only really one way to get the money off the books and, and into the bank. You've got to collect the money and post it and put it in the bank. That's simple. But your methodologies for how to get those results are going to be unique to you. For me, what is unique to me in the world of collections is my specific verbal skill. The verbal skills that I teach to help patients pay the money and to help the teams not be so self-conscious or feeling bad for the patient in collecting that money. So collections is a, it, it's a subject matter. Your unique spin on that tale is what's going to, what's going to um, support your area of expertise. You know what? There's 144,000 dentists in the universe and one Lois Banta and one Clarice Duncan. Everybody needs to hear the message from multiple resources. Very helpful. I, I would teach people in my profession of collections. I'm happy to have like a panel discussion and you and I have participated in that many times. There are different viewpoints on the same subject matter is a very healthy approach to that subject matter. So don't be afraid that other people are doing it. I'm never going to be protective of my profession that has an expertise in collections. I get very excited when younger people come up in the ranks 
and start talking about collections, I'm not going to live forever. I don't pretend that I'm going to live forever. And I want people that are coming up in this profession to really fine tune that area of expertise. And I'm happy to help. And things change too. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe I've been out of the office long enough to not realize something has changed. I mean, I, I don't think so because I try really hard, but yeah. it could be that I'm slipping, who knows? But but honestly, that's that's why I'm friends with a lot of the people that do teach insurance. I mean, we're all friends and we shoot things back and forth, you know? Technology has changed in the area of collections in the methodology for how people pay their bill. Text to pay, right? Through through an app on your on your phone. That wasn't I didn't even have a cell phone when I started my company. So <laughs> Things have changed greatly. And I think that it's okay to move with the changes, but the, the younger people coming up in our profession have a knowledge base that we didn't have when we started. So I, I'm very proud of that, that kind of change coming down the pike. Okay, so the next thought in my head that kind of stopped me was, I don't know how to do this website stuff. Like, what am I doing with the website? Right? So school's never out for the pro. As an example, the SEN conference teaches that kind of thing to our members, how to design a website, who to hook up with, how much money should you pay to design a website, what kind of content should you put on your website. So we have a knowledge base in our group that of either personal experience of how to do it wrong, you know, how to do it wrong helps teach people how to do it right down the road. So, you know, the mistakes that I made designing a website, I don't make those mistakes anymore because I hire professionals to come and design that website for me. I spent months and months and months trying to design my own website. I'm, I'm not a website designer. I'm not, I kill computers for a living. I, I suck at that part of my profession. So I make sure that I involve professionals that can help me design a website that's going to make me look good. And frankly, my website makes me look good. So there you go. I had to laugh because you said something about the, the technology and all. And, and our friend, Christine Taxon, I don't know if you know this, but she is, I swear she has a magnetic field around her because things just go wrong oh, with yeah. her and computers. And she called me one time and she's like, you're never going to believe this because her computer had died out of class or something like that. And she's like, I was on the plane and the plane in the cockpit caught on fire. They had to bring us back. And I said, Christine, I'm never traveling with you. Oh. So <laughs> But the, you know, so so she her stories. If if you ever see Christine Taxon on the road, ask her about her computer troubles and just sit back and laugh because she has such a good way of telling the story. But yeah, some people just you should know your limitations. Same same for me, right? Let me push back a little bit because I'm I'm young. I don't make that much money. I'm cheap. I'm and I'm still cheap. Honestly, I'm still very cheap. So when I take SEN, when I go to SEN, I hear I need to do a website. I don't have five thousand dollars to hire a website. I don't have this. So you don't need to be polished, do you? Or should you? Is something better than nothing? So the technologies has changed so much now, Teresa, that you could really Google how can I build a website for free and build a really good, stable, basic website. You know, the secrets to building a good website is to not make it too wordy, to have timely information on there and to have search engines or links that people can click on to be able to hire you for your services or listen to a podcast that you did that will cause a meeting planner to hire you, et cetera. There are YouTube videos on how to build a website for free. There you go. And you could, if you don't have any video of you talking because you haven't gotten booked yet, you know, have somebody hold a camera up to you and you give like your top three, what you do in this situation, what you do in that situation. Here's what I'm seeing. Just get some video out because meeting planners do want to see that you're not stumbling and, you know, flapping around. So questions and have a family member interview you and then 
post that. And you can post things. You can, you can establish a YouTube account and post your YouTube videos. And look at all these people who have gotten very famous just by getting followers on YouTube or Instagram or do a quick little TikTok. There are a zillion ways to record something that you can put out there in public land that will get you noticed. So with TikTok, it's so funny because you know, I'm on a lot of social media as are you. And my son said, you you should not be on TikTok. I did <laughs> you to be on TikTok. At first he wanted me to be on it because he's like, oh, there's no dental consultants on there. And then the more he got into it, he's like, you, you really we're not gonna, you know, if you're young and you get that market, go for it, but we'll just watch. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or something that we just shouldn't do. Right. right? <laughs> okay. So uh, the other question that I, I had was how do I find my first client? And I know you go over this on the first day, but if I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking, well, who the heck is going to pay me to do this? How did you find your first client? My first client kind of found me when I started teaching my boss's friends how to get the same result. And then I would see them at the local dental meetings that I was attending. That's what did it. As an example, my, our hygienist in our practice brother was a dentist. So she would tell her brother, oh, Lois is getting these great results on collections. So the brother called me. So that's what it, what did it. And then I had a, a friend who was a patient in another dental practice and he was having a trouble scheduling. And she said, well, my friend schedules really, really well. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I charged $50 for that first consulting. <laughs> I was worth $50 at the time. But that's <laughs> what did it. And it's, it, it's a seed planter. When you start sharing your area of expertise and people start paying you for that area of expertise, the light bulb moment happens that, oh my gosh, maybe this is my newfound profession. I absolutely love, love, love what I do. And it doesn't feel like work to me most of the time. Sometimes it feels like work when I'm tired and I'm traveling and I don't want to do that. Wake up at six in the morning kind of thing. And then I realize that I'm going to make a difference for somebody. And that's really what drives me is knowing that somebody's going to have their practice improved by something that I taught or something that I said. And, and it helps a lot um, drive me in this profession to keep wanting to do it. If I, Rick, my husband tells me all the time, if I were a millionaire, I'd still do this. I just wouldn't charge any money for it. And he's, he's right. I give a lot of my stuff away, mostly because I want people to be successful at it. So one of the questions I had for myself, and I hear this from a lot of young people wanting, or not young, but just new people to the industry. They think they need to be an expert on everything. But here's the thing, people like you and me who were managing offices, we were good at a lot of things, yeah. right? So trying to figure out what you really are good at is not the same thing as what you love. That was hard for me because I was good at so much. And then I was like, I hate that though. Why am I doing it? Why am I teaching it? So that was something that I, SEN did help to narrow that down. Because what I did is I went to the meeting and found somebody who did it way better than I thought I was doing it. And I was like, I have no business even talking to this. Like I need to just let that go. And so that did help. That did help a lot. But did you have that problem in the beginning where you oh were, you started with collections, right? But, but you were consulting too. So did you, yes. did you start expanding and then shrink in or did you shrink in and then go out and come back? Like, how did that work? I tried to be all things to all people. And what I realized after a short while was I was fire hosing my clients with all my knowledge. And number two, there were parts of what I was doing in my consulting profession that I didn't enjoy. So I did the 12 month consulting and I still have a few 12 month consulting clients. And I realized after about five years of doing that, I didn't love 12 month consulting. I love getting in and getting out and 
making an impact. So I loved speaking. I loved in-office training and I loved remote coaching, which means I telecoached. I coached on the phone. When I, when I got those light bulb moments and then there was three months of follow-up in the phone calls and realizing they were getting good results is the thing that's what, that's what fed my soul. So I have refined my business to specialize in a few areas where I have great success rather than widen the net and try to specialize in a hundred areas where I'm going to have moderate success and higher stress levels. Higher stress levels. Yes. That, uh, that's why I stopped consulting the higher stress levels. Uh, but, but one thing too, is I realized very quickly that my local network, and really that was just the, the reps who came to my office and some of the dentists that I would run into at these meetings. There was a lot of opportunity there, yeah. but when I first started, I really thought I had to be national, you know, like, cause that's what all the other consultants were doing. Yeah. And so I had, that's what they're doing. This is how it should look. But the landscape of consulting is way different now, right? Like you just said, virtual, there's even like one, one call and you're done. There's send in information. Let me look at it and I'll talk to you. There's training on this. There's training on that. I mean, really, you can make it your own. You know, I have a menu of services for people to choose from and different price points for that menu of services based on their budget. I have gone all over the world consulting. I've consulted as far away as Indonesia. I've lectured as far away as Australia. Really amazingly life-changing experiences that I really don't care to repeat. It was a great experience and a cultural experience that made me realize where I wanted my lane to be. And that's the thing that I would implore, I would guide people who are thinking about this profession is to really find out what do you want your lane to be. And it's hard to decide on your lane when you've never done it before. So there's going to be a point where you're experimenting in a few lanes to, to decide what fills your bucket. And there's real truth to if you can visualize an emotional bucket, what's, what sucks the life out of you and what gives you energy. And the thing that gives me energy is speaking, lecturing, writing doesn't give me energy. I don't enjoy it. I love these interview style podcasts. I don't love just giving a webinar with a PowerPoint presentation. I'll do it. I'm good at it, but it doesn't fill my bucket. What fills my bucket is really having meaningful conversations where somebody's going to be listening to that and pulling something from that that's going to spark an idea that, hey, I want to do that too. I will teach every single person on the planet how to do what I do if I know it's going to help them grow their business. And that, what I realized in purchasing SCN was a bucket filler for me. I love teaching. I love it. Who knew? I didn't know that until I, until I was in it. I love right. it. When you announced that you were buying it, it was like so perfect. Like I think everybody in the room was like, of course, that's who would buy SCN because you were, I mean, Linda Miles was of course the the starter of it, but, but you were always, I, Linda had her thing, but you were very active with the newbies. You were very, you know, running around and talking to them. So it made total sense that you would buy it. I just want to back up a second because we're talking about Linda Miles, but you know, a lot of people haven't heard of her because she was the first generation of dental consultants, really. So um, and she's not active anymore, which is why another reason too, like Kathy Jamison is still out there and right. they're in that category. But Linda Miles is is one of the first practice management speakers to get out there and talk on practice management and teams. I mean, it was mostly just clinical yeah. in the beginning. So uh, people like me and you, we we sat through a lot of her lectures and I can tell you, there's a lot of lectures I sat through where, where I just thought, what the heck am I listening to? Exactly. And that's part of why I started. But, but Linda was always so engaging and 
the funny thing about Linda is she would say, call me and I'll talk to you about it. And when you actually called, she would sit and talk to you, about it, which was amazing. It was amazing. Did you have the same experience? I did. In fact, when I was, when I was trying to make a decision on what my next step was, I had left a message for her or I thought I was going to leave a message for her and she picked up her own phone. I couldn't (laughs) call her office and she answered. And we had an hour long conversation about the benefits of consulting and writing profession. And it, what it did was it, it just, it fueled my fire. It inspired me to, to think to myself, Hey, maybe I can do this. And, you know, sometimes that's all we need is to share ideas and have that realization of, you know what, that is my next step. That is exactly what I want to do. I've met so many people in my profession who don't want to be a speaker, right? They're terrified. You know, the, the Linda Miles said one time, there's three fears, the fear of dying and the fear of speaking, and then the fear of dying while speaking. <laughs> I have a natural performance mentality. I was a music and theater major in college. So speaking in front of people, being in front of people, that doesn't, I don't have a, I'm not afraid of that. And I've never been nervous speaking in front of an audience. So when I see my friends get very nervous speaking in front of an audience, that tells me they've gotten in their head and they're not speaking from their gut and their heart. And so that's why SCN was so beneficial for me because I was able to teach other people in our organization how to be more confident in their message. When you know your stuff, it's pretty easy to talk about what you know. If somebody asked me to talk about hygiene scalers, I would freeze. First of all, clinical side, I think it's the side of blood. I would have been a terrible clinical person. I've seen your seminars where you show those amazing surgical slides and I just have to close my eyes for about five minutes while I go for that moment to pass, appreciating your knowledge, but I can't, I couldn't do that if my life Dependent on it. I could. <laughs> I'm laughing because I really like, I would love to talk more about the surgical stuff. And I love looking at like pictures of plaque and, and showing videos and stuff. But then I turn around and look at the audience and I'm and like, like oh, oh, no. it's 11 o'clock. It's before lunch. What am I doing? You know, <laughs> I have people that come to me that are clinical team members that come to my seminars and they say, I couldn't talk about money to save my soul. I'm terrified to talk about the collection side. And it's like, wow completely different opposite sides of the spectrum, but the same fear point. So my advice to people who are thinking about speaking is, is make sure you know your topic, make sure you're, you're passionate about your topic and the, the passion will come through your message. The one time I panicked giving a course was I went to sleep the night before and it was on a topic I was not familiar with. I was uh, trying to do it because the study club director really was like, please, can you do it? Mm-hmm. So I tackled scheduling, which is not my forte. I hate it. I don't like it. And so I wrote the seminar. I went to bed. I had two nightmares that night, went into the course with butterflies in my stomach, which I don't, I'm like you, I don't have that. And when I got done with that course, I was, I, I could, I just wanted to fly out of the room. I don't think I did badly, but in my mind, I did a really bad job. Yeah. So I, I really, I know what that feels like. And so now I never, like if somebody says to speak on something that I kind of know something about, I'm like, no, I want to sleep the night before. I cannot take this right. gig, right? Because it's true. When you don't know it, your subconscious knows it and you will, it will manifest itself. So stick with what you know. And your psyche or your ego or whatever's in that third eye scenario is always very excited and honored when somebody invites you to speak. You have to make sure that you disconnect from that just a little bit when they're asking you to speak on a topic that you're not familiar with. You have to have that confidence 
So now what I do is, you know what, that's not in my wheelhouse, but I know who is in that wheelhouse. Let me refer you to X, Y, Z person. I've referred so many speaking engagements to my colleagues because it wasn't in my wheelhouse. I no longer speak on coding. I know a lot about coding. I know a lot about how to, how to write the perfect narrative and get the great results, but I'm going to refer a coding seminar to my experts because it's no longer in my wheelhouse. I know a lot about it. I know how to get results on claims that as far as knowing the nuances of every single new code that's out there on the planet, no, that's not my wheelhouse anymore. From a new, new person perspective coming up, you know, we're scrappy, we're broke, we're trying to bootstrap it, right? It's really counterintuitive to say, let me send you to somebody else but it will give back to you because that's how you start to build this referral network, right? So I get lots of gigs from people who I've sent gigs to and vice versa. And somebody will drop my name and I'm like, wow, I can't believe she referred me. That's awesome. And it's because I did something for them years ago. You know what I mean? And you have countless stories of that. Where oh, yes. And also what you put out there comes back. It does come back to you. And you can also, you know, you're new to the industry. You're, you're scrappy. You're hungry. Partner with someone. You know, if it's not in your wheelhouse, say, hey, that's not in my wheelhouse, but I can add to that by speaking on my area of expertise. Let's have both of us in to talk about that subject. I've done that many, many times. As you know, Judy Kay is the culture camp queen. At a certain point, people annoy me. She is never annoyed. And so I have partnered with Judy Kay on many occasions. I have counseled with Judy Kay on how to deal with a situation where a team member or, or a dentist has done something or said something or acted a certain way. And now I'm annoyed. And she brought me right back to the table. She is brilliant at that. I'm, I'm good at communicating. I can add an element of humor, but when it gets past a point of X, Y, or Z, I bring Judy Kay into the mix. That's a good example. She's the fixer, the cleanup. Girl, right? <laughs> she is the fixer. Oh, that's a good description of her. She is the fixer. So, all right. Uh, okay. So let's, let's, Give some homework to the listeners because I want to go into the next topic that we have. So the homework is if you're considering speaking, consulting or anything like that, realize that writing is part of it. So you may need to, to bone up on that, but start thinking right now about your skills and what you really enjoy. And I like to tell people to make a list of what they hate because that's the most important list because then that informs the rest of it. And then I want you to go to Speaking Consulting Network the website and check out, first of all, who's on there. You probably know somebody, so you could even ask them, you know, will this help? And you'll get, you know, some real honest answers there. Reach out to Lois. What else can they do in the interim? Because 2021 is a far, it's far away. You have something in between that? I do. So we have a, a kind of a stripped down version of our SCN conference in uh, the third week in January, the third Saturday in January. So next year, it's January 16th. It's called SCN Unplugged. So it's a really great way to kind of dip your big toe into our organization. You must be a registered SCN member if you're returning or registered for our annual conference in order to register for this. It's a much less registration fee. It's $4.95. But basically, you come on an all-day session, we have an uh, informal get-together the night before, and literally we talk about the business of our profession. Last year, we talked about writing. We talked about lighting when we're doing these podcasts and when we're uh, doing videos. We talked about putting your name out there and your professional appearance and your professional voice. That is January 16th. is always in Napa Valley. The last two years, it's been at the River Terrace Inn. Most likely 99%. We're going to have it there again. But as the COVID-19 situation 
has evolved. Getting in touch with the hotel live has been just a little bit of a challenge. So as they start opening back up and answering their phones again, we'll be contracting with that River Terrace Inn. But it's just a really magical, great, typically lower attendance by design so that people can feel that more personal boutique oriented nature of our profession. Uh, It's been very enlightening to have that kind of a conference. And it's it's almost exactly six months in between our annual conference. So those people that missed SEN 2020, we can reconnect in January. We're also offering some Zoom mini conferences in lieu of an actual SCN conference. We're offering some mini Zoom conference through Mastermind, live Mastermind sessions, or John Stamper's offered to do some uh, radio podcasts for us on Facebook Live. We have other ways to stay engaged. That SCN Unplugged would be a way to be able to connect with our group live and in person. There's a lot to be thought of if you are considering making this move. And it's not just managers either. I mean, doctors, and I've had a lot of emails from doctors wanting to get training for their assistant or clinical team because they're not wanting to put on all the inf- all the stuff and they want to stay in the office but not in that role. So there's been a lot there's a lot of transition, a lot of shifting and unfortunately some people just leaving the the industry uh, totally and and I hate losing that institutional knowledge, right? So if you're smart in this and you've got some good skills and you're thinking of leaving dentistry, take a second to think, well, maybe I could pass this on instead of putting on the N95 and stuff. If I have to speak through an N95 mask though, Lois, we may need to talk. About- uh, yeah, it's that I have seen the masks out there that have the clear Plexi plastic and center. So you yes. can see someone smile because I'm, I smile, you know, and then and let's not even talk about the hugging. I, I'm a hugger. So I, I know. know we may have to just have saran wrap around us now, but the, the, clear, touch the clear, oh yeah, the, the elbow bumps. Elbow bumps. So you can't see it, guys, but like Lois and I are making all sorts of weird movements here. Trying <laughs> to do it. So, so the clear masks from what I read online are great for the deaf. Yes. I didn't realize, I totally didn't think about that, that, you know, with a mask on, you can't lip read. No. And so these clear masks, I mean, what a great idea. And hopefully maybe that makes our way into dentistry too. Oh, I'm I'm hoping it does. I've been on a search for those clear masks. So if anybody out there in your audience knows how to get them, I'm really searching for them for my clients because we're losing that a connection that we have with our patients. And we don't want to lose that connection. I really don't think it's going to be a lifelong thing. I think it's going to ease up once we get some really great vaccines out there. But in the interim, we still need to, we still need to have that kind of a connection with each other. And what better way than to actually see our smiles on our faces. I would like to institute a one month a year where you have to wear the mask. And it's because when people wear the mask, they realize just how bad their breath is and how bad their their mouth is. So if we could just do that one, maybe just a week of masks, that will feed the dental industry for the next 12 months. Oh my goodness, that's so true. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back into the office. And if you're, don't tune out, because I know right now you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, I want to do this. And she's talking about that. I can't wait to go look that up or whatever. Just calm down because when you have all those thoughts running through your head, like it's, it's hard, it's hard to organize and, ju- and they get jumbled. So we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the office and the offices that Lois is working with. I prepped her by saying, you know, can you share what some of your offices are doing? What are their best practices? And she got really excited because you had something that just came up, right? So I'm not even going to prep it. You just dive into it. 
So early on, one of the things I was uh, recommending is that you're going to have to like flex your schedules and have a, maybe a longer huddle. And that morphed into have some, have some dry runs, some practice days. So a lot of my clients have been having these practice days and what they're realizing is they didn't take into consideration all of the additional infection control protocols and PPE equipment that they're going to be wearing and the laundering. And one client even said, I need a, a bigger laundry basket to, for the professional laundry services that are going to come in and re-sterilize our gowns. Some of them are using these reusable gowns. They didn't realize that's going to take not only extra time, but extra space. The dry runs on the patients driving to the office and calling the office some, you know, they're used to walking into the office and saying, I'm here and they can't do that right now. And so restructuring uh, what your reception room looks like, how are we going to handle the handoff a little differently? How much time are we actually going to need during, before, during, and post appointment to be able to not run behind schedule? So the drive runs have really ironed out a lot of the wrinkles. So I've come to the conclusion in coaching my clients that I'm going to go with the 10, 10, 10 rule, add 10 minutes at the beginning to seat the patient, answer their questions, infection control protocols, add an additional 10 minutes in the body of the operative appointment so that the doctor can, many of them are changing gowns to go down and do the hygiene exam. That takes extra time. So add an extra 10 minutes in the body of the appointment. And then at the end of the appointment for the clean the room, sterilize the instruments, reset up for the next patient, allow an extra 10 minutes. So that 10, 10, 10 for each section of the appointment although it takes more time, is going to ultimately benefit the practice long run because they won't run behind time. And that nothing is more frustrating than running behind schedule, not only for the patient, but for the practice as well. So the scheduling protocols have changed greatly. And I've also counseled my clients, it's not a long-term thing. It, you're, we're going to get more efficient at it. Just like learning anything new, you're really slow at learning to drive a car. You know, you're not going to just be the roadster out there. Well, some of you are, but most of you aren't going to be the roadster out there learning how to drive a car. You got to learn how to drive the car. So that's the main thing that my clients are experiencing right now. Some of them had dry runs and now they've been open for two weeks. So they're really, really journeying through what's a time buster and what's not a time buster. So that 10, 10, 10 rule also add 10 minutes to your morning huddle so that you can regroup and rediscuss what worked well the day before and what were our challenges so that we can shift. Also counsel my clients, they're going to have to be prepared to shift on the fly. You cannot be a perfectionist in this particular time in our lives. You're, and you cannot be change resistant. You have to be prepared to shift. Okay. So that conversation where you're telling a dentist to not be a perfectionist, how did that go over? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a lot of laughter and I got a lot of um, eye rolling and I got a lot of, uh-huh, right. Let me know how that works out for you, Lois Banta. But it's not about not being a perfectionist. It's about, it's about being able to flex if you are married to your original plan and you don't have any flexibility built into your thought process, you're going to be incredibly frustrated. We're already frustrated. And the other thing that's coming down the pike is know that your patients are much more knowledgeable on infection control. There's worldwide been hourly, minute by minute broadcast of infection control and what needs to take place. The thing that I've counseled my clients on is now we get to brag on what we've always done. We've always had great infection control protocols. Now we're enhancing those protocols. So now's the time 
to be putting those Facebook posts, posts out there on what protocols you've, you've always had in place and what you're doing in addition. Yesterday, one of my clients posted on Facebook and I love following my clients on Facebook. They had a contest for their patients and this was so creative. They had contest for the patients to post how many t- team members they could recognize in their PPE garb. <laughs> That's and great. And a prize given to the patient. That's awesome. How cool is that? Then another client had a dinosaur with a mask and the the plastic visor for in a pediatric office for the little kiddos walking in. There are these creative ways for us to live in that zone for a little while and not and not completely lose our. I want to say another word, uh, our minds. You know, it's funny. I was texting our friend Samir from Care Credit. Oh, I love him. I was like, just saying, Samir, I could really rock a care credit, like face mask right now. Like what's, what's going on in your marketing department? So (laughs) that's what I'm hoping for. Cause right now I'm actually pretty excited because now I'm going to get a pink mask. I'm going to get, you know, my colors. I'm, it's just all like all new accessories for me. And I'm not really an accessory person, but this is pretty exciting. I'm on Etsy looking at these masks. I'm getting kind of excited about it. <laughs> my neighbor's uh, church group made masks and she brought some over and laid them on our picnic table for us. And mine has like a whole bunch of like yellow smiley faces all over it. Oh. And Rick's is like gray and black and very manly. And it's like, okay, I need to do the smiley face one. <laughs> Such a teddy bear. I love it. So I can see that. I can see that. I have to wear my manly mask. You know? um, <laughs> I just want to maybe sober this up a little bit because one thing that I have seen, Lois, is you do all these dry runs and everybody is back to work. And then the dentist and the manager are blindsided because it's been a week of working and the people are just done. So I saw a lot of people not wanting to go back. Are you seeing it too, where people are, they tried it and they're like, I, I can't. So now I'm starting to see a second wave of, we need to get this down again. Are you seeing that in your clients? Yes. And so I have some advice to um, practices for that. At the end of the first day, at the end of the third day, at the end of the week, find a, find a way to celebrate that you made it through. Because there's safety in numbers. And when you um, work as a team to say, hey, we did it, we made it through, it allows you the energy and the space to to come back and do it again. But also, I go back to that morning huddle and we really find out what worked well and what didn't work well. Maybe what didn't work well was they felt overwhelmed by the sheer um, amount of equipment they now have to wear versus what they didn't have to wear before. So maybe they have a new plan to uh, take a longer lunch break or to take mini breaks during the day where they can de-garb that PPE equipment, go outside and have a little mini meeting or have a, a break as a team where you're not in all that garb. And I think there that's where that's where we're going to have to be able to have processes to shift on the fly. And there are people who are claustrophobic. I this might make it giggle a little bit. I'm not claustrophobic except when I'm in a large crowd because I'm four foot nine and a quarter. When I get a large group of people around me and it gets too close for comfort, I literally break out into a cold sweat. Really? I never knew that. I recognize that um, when I went, I took a trip with some friends to Venice and we were in this big open square and there were buildings all around us. And what we didn't realize when we got there was it was high school graduation and every single school let out at the same time and they all congregated in the square and I was in the middle and I freaked out. Oh no. And ever since then, that was like, gosh, maybe eight years ago, ever since then, that realization of that thing that goes off in my head when there are too many people around, 
And thinking back from when I was young and single and at the bars, I never, ever wanted to congregate out on the dance floor. I never wanted to congregate in a whole bunch of people. I was on the outside of the room. And so now, here I'm a very social per- person and I love people. But when there are too many tall people around me, it closes in the space. I think we're going through that same thing in our PPE equipment. Those people that are slightly claustrophobic or don't like those enclosed spaces need those opportunities to get out of that equipment for just a short time to be able to regroup. And I think we all need to be sensitive to that right now. And that's why I said flex on the fly. You were going to have to recognize what's causing us more stress than not more stress. Right now, I think we can become much more profitable as a practice because we can do more dentistry on fewer patients because we're not then turning around our rooms as frequently. So I think there's going to be a really great side benefit to our current situation by planning our scheduling to to do more quadrant type dentistry. It is interesting that when you're efficient with your scheduling, you do, I mean, it's, it's profitable and we've been trying to teach people. Well, you have, I don't do scheduling, obviously, but trying to teach people for years, if you get this down, this will follow. And now all of a sudden it's like from zero to 60, you have to become a scheduling expert. It is overwhelming. You have to learn how to be efficient. You have to learn how to be take care of your practice. Business owners, I'm feeling for them because they've had to stay on top of this and with families and all of that. I'm just seeing my old boss go through it. I mean, he's, he's a trooper, he's a warrior, but there are times when, you know, I text him just to say, is everything okay? And he's like, man, it's hard. I think it's really hard for everybody. Everybody has their issues with what's going on. Yes. It's hard for different reasons for different people, but the consistent thing is that it's hard. What is hard about it is different for different people. And so the, the consistent stress is there. It might be for a different reason, but everybody's under a similar kind of stress and being sensitive to that. And then finding ways to de-stress. Some people are implementing meditation breaks or even yoga breaks or attitude adjustment after a tough day break. There are different ways to be able to find your way around the stress and don't just power through. I think that would be very unhealthy is to just power through at this point. I think we need to have an abundance of understanding with our teams, with our practices, with our dentists who, if you can imagine team, a dentist has gone through even more. Not only have they been experiencing what you've been experiencing and not going, their kids not going to school and homeschooling, they've had the added stress of a business that was successful that is now financially struggling. We have to have an abundance of sensitivity towards that as well. And really, that's when true teams will come together. The people who are true team member are going to shine. The people who were not team oriented are going to find another profession. And I think they need to. And you said earlier, you know, you got to take care of yourself. The people who need to hear that are not necessarily the team members. They it's the strong people, because if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I'm doing all right, you know, I, I, I'm good. I'm, I can hold this in. I take care of myself all the time. You're the person we're talking to. You do need to, to slow down and, and maybe talk to somebody else or just acknowledge the fact that this stuff is hard. This is the hardest thing that dentistry has gone through to date. You know, I, I'm known in the profession as being a very glass half full, positive, outgoing person. And yes. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know I had enough tears in my body to shed. I went through all of the, you know, those five stages of grief. I went through all of them. I panicked. I was devastated. I was mad. 
I was fearful. I was stressed out. I, you know, there were times when I hung out in my bed and ate chocolate till noon. You know, I did all of those things. I'm much better at managing things now than I was when we were first going through it the first month. You know, the first week, even you think, well, it's going to last two weeks. Ah, it couldn't last more than three weeks. Oh, wait, SCN's we're going to be fine. It's only March. Why are people talking about blah, blah, blah. And as <laughs> realization came through, my little five stages of grief kept happening over and over and over. And now I'm, uh, I've got a dedication to managing things a little better by taking a little better care of myself. I'm a human being. You're a human being. We are all human. We need to give ourselves permission. This is what I finally realized to feel the feelings. I was blocking off the feelings. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be crying. I shouldn't be so upset. I allowed myself to feel the feelings and I still do that today. So there are times when I, I shut off my phone and I don't look at my computer and I don't turn the TV on so that I can feel my feelings. And that's helped. I love it. I love it. I was talking to my best friend from college last night and we, we said the exact same thing. We feel like we've been through the stages of grief over and over and over again. Like this might be our third or fourth go round. And I said to her, I said, I'm tired of being overwhelmed. Can we just go back to whelmed? Like, can we go back to that stage? So true. And the other thing too is that you and I have given so many, I mean, I dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews and webinars and Zoom podcasts, et cetera. And we've been putting our advice out there for three months. So somebody in our profession, I think it's been a little tougher on because we haven't, I haven't, hadn't carved out the space to take care of me and my business. I was so busy offering my guidance to other people in the profession, rightfully so, but it's right. emotionally and physically draining to constantly do that. So I learned how to regroup and maybe not do it so often so that I could still work on my business while being in my business. And I think it's very healthy in the dental profession to not just be the service. You also have to work on yourselves as a, um, an entity and a, and a human resource. We're a service-oriented industry, and we give a lot emotionally to our profession in the business of in dentistry. So we have to make sure that we carve out time to take care of the psyche as well as the patient. Very true. Very wise as usual. Good advice. We are, again, here we are at an hour. We always say it's going to fly by and it sure does. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Lois, how do they reach you? How do they find you? So if you want information about my consulting services or my training, et cetera, it's Lois at Vanta consulting.com. If you want information about the speaking consulting network, it's info at speaking consulting network.com or Julie at Banta consulting.com. And she runs both my companies. I really couldn't do what I do without her. So you can always reach out to me at Lois at Banta consulting.com. And I will answer emails for both sides of my profession. So, and I look forward to connecting with any of you who are thinking about taking that leap. It's a scary leap, but that's why you don't do it alone, right? It's it, You got to have some support. So, all right. So everybody who's listening, I will see you or talk to you on the next episode. As usual, I am very grateful for the time that you dedicate to this podcast. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.